Hello, I'm Helen Pidd and this is The Guardian's Bike Podcast, your monthly dose of pedal-powered audio action. On today's show, we'll be struggling up Edinburgh's hills with the city's rickshaw drivers, we'll be eyeing up London's Olympic velodrome, and we'll be catching up on the bike news both here in the UK and all the way over on the other side of the world. But first of all, let me introduce you to our studio guest. Mark Ames from the wonderful iBike London blog. Hello, Mark. Hi, Helen. How are you? <laughs> Fine, thank you very much. It's your first time on the programme, so welcome. Thank you. How's your summer been? Uh, a little wet, and uh, I've been keeping myself busy. I'm restoring um, a, an old English bike at the moment, or, or at least pretending to, so looking for parts and um, not getting as far as I'd like to and not riding as far as I'd like to, but uh, maybe that's the bane of all cyclists. <laughs> Fantastic. So let's kick off today's show by heading north to Edinburgh, which has spent most of the month celebrating its various festivals. Now, I went to university in the city and I found it a real effort cycling up the cobbled hills to lectures with just, you know, a load of books in my satchel, let alone two or three portly tourists sitting on the back. But that is the life of the rickshaw driver. And the bike podcast producer Francesca Panetta went to Scotland's capital to find out just why they do it. She started at Bespoke Bikes, which is run by Nino Alensa and his son Joe, who works as the company's bike mechanic. Well, he's more than mechanic. He's the operations director. We own the business jointly. It gives us an interesting lifestyle. I think Joe tells him, oh, it's a lifestyle business, but it is good fun. Looking for a rickshaw ride tonight, guys? Where are you heading next? It's just a nice lifestyle, you know. It's always outside. It's keeping fit. If you're good and you've got good chat, you can do quite well out of it as well. So. Where are you heading, folks? Rickshaw ride tonight? Make your journey good? So this is the unit, holds about 25 to 27 rickshaws. So it's quite tidy, obviously, because you've come today. So <laughs> It's audio, you didn't need to clean up for me. I know, I know, but... Have you ever been on one? No. Right, this, this, that's the first thing we've got to do then, isn't it? <laughs> so I'm going to hold this, <laughs> and you're going to get riding. Okay, okay, jump on. All right. First things to go through, as you can see, we've got the parking brake on there. Control the speed of the bike and slow down. Just use the back brake. Okay. You can see, obviously, you've got your trigger shifter there for you can set gears. Mm-hmm. What you've got to get into your head is you're not going to fall off. And then, yeah, this is just have a wee go. I'll walk along with you while we do it. Right. Ah. Jesus Christ, this is terrifying. Ah! Sit, sit with your back up, right? All right, all right, right, right. Yeah. Okay, I've got it, I've got it. Ah! This is really bloody hard. Not, not so hard. Don't, not, this is not, I thought I was going to be interviewing the drivers, I'm not trying this myself. <laughs> what we're going to do later is get up going up the Royal Mall with three Americans in the back. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. Got a natural. Okay, so how much does it cost to rent a bike off you for the week? Uh, the rent's dependent on what week it is and what we think the the earnings potential is so if there's a rugby weekend obviously that's a really good weekend for the guys because they're going to be busy the festival's going to be busy but usually you're looking about 80-90 pounds a week and how much money do you think I could earn if I went out let's say every night I don't know after seeing you peddling we're going to work on that first okay but Pete here who's, who's next to us who's one of your top rickshaw drivers yeah. I don't know, but, but will Pete disclose he's in... <laughs> how, how, how much you could, on, on a good week? It's, it's festival time. Joe's, Joe's fairly good at setting the rent right, and he aims to keep it roughly a third of what we take. So you might get a couple of hundred pounds. Yeah. 
you want to have a go sit in the back and yeah, I'll just I'm going to sit in the back this time. That sounds much better. What are we going to do now? I'm going to take you up into town. We'll cycle around a bit, see if we can pick up a few customers and find somewhere that's busy with tourists. Okay, let's go. Obviously you're a keen cyclist, otherwise you wouldn't be doing this job, but it's not like cycling a normal bike, is it? It's like cycling a bar stool. You don't lean into corners and it takes a bit of getting used to when you start riding initially. And you should be careful sitting on the edge there. You don't want to lose you. I think initially we'll head up head up the Royal Mile. And there's a queue of bikes about halfway up the Royal Mile, just where all the fringe uh, street shows are happening. So we'll go and have a look there, see how many bikes there are around. Yeah, we'll cycle uphill to get there. How fast do you reckon you can go on this thing? Maybe hit like 20, 30 mile an hour if you're going down a big hill, but you know, the brakes are good and we'll, you just got to be sensible, you know? Bikes are geared very well. Got a good granny gear to get up the hills with chunky people in the back. It's just about building up endurance. I remember one rugby weekend taking three guys up a big hill from the grass market and they said to me that they all weighed uh, 20 stone a piece so it's 60 plus stone in the bike plus me in the bike going up a hill stone. something like that wasn't very much fun So we've got a few rickshaws here. We have. So probably go and have a word with them, see how things are doing, and uh, try and figure out if it's worthwhile waiting here with them, okay. or uh, or moving on to find a, a place where there are no other bikes. Okay, let's give it a go. How's it going here? Quite good. Just had a fun ride with some kids. Just took them around the block. Their parents wanted to have a coffee and cake, so <laughs> they just asked them to take them away for a while so they'd have some peace. Is it worth waiting? Quite likely, this is a good spot, yeah. Being fourth in a line of rickshaws is maybe not ideal given the number of people that there are around. So We're going to go around and uh, have a look at another busy spot in town, see if we can drum up some change somewhere else. Why do you like the job? It fits in very well around university. Money's reasonable, banter's good, and it beats being stuck indoors. Doing cold calling like I used to. <laughs> if you're buying tickets, use the front. If you're collecting, go around the side. Where are we? Bristow Square, where we've got the underbelly, which is the big upside down cow tent full of comedy acts. We've got a gilded balloon and McEwen Hall. It's always very busy. Best if we can time it for shows to be ending, people coming out and moving on. Anybody collecting tickets? Looking for a rickshaw ride tonight, guys? 
Where are you heading next? Where are you heading, folks? Rickshaw ride tonight? Make your journey good? Do you fancy it? No, no, thank you. Don't feel the need to. I always feel kind of sorry for the blokes here because uh, they always look like they're kind of puffing up hills and that sort of stuff, so don't know if I'd feel right putting them through that. <laughs> I think they're overpriced and I just would feel a bit embarrassed, to be honest with you. Like, doesn't strike my fancy, that's for sure. Have you ever used one? No. Why not? People get injured. They just don't seem a very safe mode of transport to me. Pedicabs have been a problem now for about two years in Edinburgh. That's where they congregate at night. That's the bottom of West Bow, Victoria Street, for about 500 yards along Grass Market. And it's 11 o'clock at night till about 2 in the morning. They queue up, all ringing bells, waiting for customers. And the customers are drunk. So the noise levels just get higher and higher and higher. Like a lift, guys. Rickshaw ride. It's a residential area. People think this is a party place. It's not. It's residential. And I think we have somewhere between six and 700 residences in this area. I guess the pedicab people might say, well, you've chosen to live right here in the middle of Edinburgh. You know, a lot of people use that argument, you chose to live here, but actually you know, we were living here before all this started. It's not just a, a noise problem, there is a safety issue here as well. Last year there was a fatality. Yes, there was. There was a dreadful accident last year on Lothian Road, which is just um, a few hundred yards that way. Um, a chap in the back of one of these things turned to shout at somebody, one of his friends, and fell out and suffered such severe head injuries that he died a couple of years later. Uh, that was... That was terrible. I think any accident is one accident too many. All our rickshaws have safety belts. We recommend the passengers put their seat belts on. We maintain our old feet every day. When the bike comes back in, the first thing the mechanic does is check it and log it. Our overall health and safety record, which if you compare to the buses and the taxis, fares very well. Now, I'm not saying we can't do things better, but I think overall, our health and safety record, in relative terms, is a good one. And you folks up for a rickshaw ride tonight? Where are you heading next? How much does it take to get to the high street from here? <laughs> Five each. Five yeah. pounds each. Go on, jump in. Oh, this is crazy. Okay. I'm a big person. <laughs> um, I'm from Edinburgh. Okay. Um, and you're visiting? Yes, from California. What's your name? Pete. 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 Woo! You need some good moral moral support. Yeah. Do you ever get honked at, Pete? Mostly by taxis. Oh. <laughs> uh, we're on the raw mile now, finally, and uh, we're at Deacon Brody's Tavern. So we've got to remark that you're a happy customer. Yes, very happy customer. And as a resident, do you reckon you're going to be taking more rickshaws? Doubt it. <laughs> Though I do think for for five pounds every five miles, that that does sound a good good bargain. Okay, end of your shift. How's it gone today? Yeah, it's been a bit so-so. It's uh, it's Tuesday, so it's quieter than some days. So, you know, I'll keep plugging away. Break even? Uh, yeah, and like, as you know, the rent's for a week, so uh, just about broke even. But end of shift, time to go home. Yeah, put my feet up, eat a few chickens.
So, Mark, I'd always thought that rickshaw drivers, I always thought it was a bit of a rip-off, the whole thing, but they were just saying they're, what, £80, £90 rent for a week and they only come out of it with £200. It's not quite the money spinner that I thought. They're not going to be a millionaire in a rush, are they, with that scheme? Uh, I, I was surprised it sounded really well organised, the scheme in Edinburgh. Um, maybe down here in London it's a bit different, I don't know. I always I had the same thoughts as you, that it was... You know, a bit of a con, a bit of a racket. Have you ever taken a rickshaw? I have, yeah. Uh, Were many, you very drunk? Many years ago, and I was very drunk, and uh, it was a group of friends and myself uh, in two rickshaws, which we managed to convince to race one another down the Charing Cross Road. Um, it was immensely fun at the time, but sort of looking back, I'm not sure if I'd do it again. Uh, I have to say, for a personal reason, I hate the rickshaws in Soho because I cycle home through Soho every night, and uh, they all try to tout for business by ringing their bells. And of course, if I ring my bell to, to, to say, excuse me, nobody hears they just think I'm a rickshaw driver uh, so for that reason I have a bit of a personal vendetta against them. And there was that guy there saying oh they're very dangerous, do you buy that? No not really, I think you know people get drunk and fall off various forms of public transport all the time um, I, I doubt they're any more dangerous than anyone else and I guess the, the, the biggest source of danger isn't people falling out of them, it's the actual road environment itself Well, let's catch up with some of the other news that's been simmering over the summer. The hoary old subject of bike helmets has reared its ugly head once again, this time over in Australia, where it's been law for cyclists to wear them for the last two decades. The bike blog's Peter Walker has lived in Australia, and he caught up with our Sydney correspondent Ellen Connolly to tell us what it was all about. Some um, researchers from Sydney University have conducted a study um, and they've concluded that actually the compulsory helmet laws are actually stopping people from riding bikes. Their conclusion is that it's bad for people's health and also bad for the environment because more people are um, ditching bicycles and taking cars or bus transport. What's the kind of wider cycling culture like in the cities? Because my experience was that uh, Sydney, uh, in particular, was, was a fun place to ride, but but it was quite a kind of antagonistic relationship between motors, uh, motorists and bike riders. Uh, yeah, well, look, it hasn't changed much oh, really? since then, I must say. Um, what is interesting is that the Sydney Lord Mayor, uh, Clover Moore, is very pro-cycling, and she actually wants to make the CBD of Sydney a car-free zone. Because it's always been maybe, as a country, a bit of a kind of car culture. Do you think that's maybe shifting a little bit? Over the years, I, I don't think it is actually, and according to some statistics, it shows that there has actually been a thirty to forty percent decline in cycling in Australia. That's since the laws um, on helmets was introduced in really? 1991. It's been as big as that. So um, cars still very much dominate, and um, bike bike riding um, is is reducing. How has the report gone down? Does it look like it's going to be? you know, swaying the minds of uh, legislators? Yeah, well, look, it's reignited the whole issue, that's for sure. And obviously um, there are authorities that are, that are very much opposed to these, this report and these findings. The Roads and Traffic Authority, in fact, has hit back at the study and it's questioned their finding, findings as well. Um, and it's come out and said that there's overwhelming research from across the world that shows that helmets save lives. So, Mark, where do you stand on the great helmet debate? This is a really interesting subject for me because I used to live in Sydney and I've had first-hand experience of the mandatory cycle helmet laws. And, uh, you know, I don't mind if people choose to wear a cycle helmet or not. I have no issues as to which you do, but I do think it should be a, an informed adult choice. And uh, I think the... the, the um, 
the results of this study are really interesting. There was a similar study which came out when the law was first introduced in Australia, which said that the law led to a 40% drop in cyclists. Therefore, it was therefore worse for public health because so many more people were not cycling anymore. So, um, yeah, you know, be an adult, make a choice. You know, if you're going to go cycling down the Alps or, or over some gnarly dirt track in the countryside, sure, slap a lid on. But if, you know, I mean, what, what a helmet law actually means is that if you're just going to pop down to the shops to buy a packet of fags or whatever, you have to put a helmet on. I, I mean, it, it's, it's it seems crazy. And uh, in Melbourne as well, it's uh, a really hot potato right now. It's really being discussed in the press and, and in politics because they've introduced the same cycle hire system that we have here in London. Right. And of course, they've been watching the scheme in London take off with aplomb. And uh, in Melbourne, they're registering only 70 or so journeys a day for the entire scheme. Um, and they're almost certain it's down to the mandatory helmet laws. Which brings us nicely to the London bike hire scheme. It's almost one month uh, since the scheme launched a great fanfare. One of the big criticisms, of course, is that there are no helmets on these bikes. <laughs> um I don't have a problem with it personally, but what do you think of the scheme overall? Has it been a success? I think it's a bit of a mixed bag. I think it's almost too successful for its own good. Um, I found out yesterday that there's been something like 250,000 trips on all of the bikes, which is amazing. But that there are, I've heard that there are now so many people who've signed up to be members that there literally aren't enough bikes, or more importantly, aren't enough docking stations to go around. And how many bikes are there now? About 5,000, is it? About, about 5,000 and I think 300-odd docking stations dotted around sort of the Zone 1 area. That's a lot of bicycles. And I think the real problem has been redistributing the bikes. There are some docking stations that nobody seems to visit at all. And then there are other ones, like, for example, Waterloo Station, where I was at tea time the other night, when there seemed to be about 40 or 50 more bikes than there were spaces and people had clearly needed to run for their train and just abandoned the bikes. Uh, Absolutely. There, there seems to be this real issue of tidal flows of bikes going from uh, uh, the stations, which the system wasn't designed for, if you remember, going into central London, the end of the day, going back to the stations. And as you say, people abandoning the bikes uh, has become a problem because they can't find somewhere to park them. And uh, just the other day, I was uh, on my way to work and I found one of these bicycles lying in the street. Someone had literally, you know, become what so frustrated. It was, it was, it was, it was quite forlorn. But someone had obviously ridden all the way around Mayfair looking for somewhere to dock it couldn't find somewhere you know was running late and had just dropped the bike in the street I find that astonishing so you picked up this orphan bike, did you? And what did you do with it? Did you I, put it in your bedroom so you could sort of, you know, stroke it before you go to bed? Or yeah, I what took did you good, do? I took good care of it. I took good care of it. No, uh, I, I took it to my office because there was nowhere to park it uh, and rang up uh, Serco, the people who operate the scheme, and asked them to come and get it. Um, about eight hours and six phone calls later, they did. Um, but uh, it could have been an easier experience, it has to be said. Good stuff. So, so far on the show, we've featured trikes and higher bikes, but now it's the turn of the exercise bike, and not the stationary kind you sweat on during a spinning class either. Producer Fran was pedalling into the office this week when she saw Rachel Dixon from the Guardian's Life and Style section entering the bike shed on what looked remarkably like a gym cross-trainer with wheels. Rachel's just come up the stairs to the studio to tell us what it's all about – what on earth is this machine? Well, that's quite a good description, actually. It basically is a cross trainer on wheels. It's called the Free Cross. So it's an elliptical trainer, um, which you power in the same way you would a cross machine at the gym. But there are two wheels at the front and one wheel at the back, so um, you can travel up and down the road on it. How do you turn a corner if your arms are busy 
It's a bit tricky. People have been known to uh, go around in circles or just to uh, fall off as soon as they've got on. Um, basically, you lean your body to the right or to the left to turn. So, um, again, it is quite like skiing in that respect. What do you think, Mark? Do you fancy going on one of these things? I'm not sure I would. I'm more of a kind of sit-up-and-beg slow cyclist. Uh, I'm not sure I could handle the attention of cycling through central London with one of these. But, you know, you're looking in great shape. Is it working? Do you feel <laughs> like it's, you know, are you, are you pumping as you're cycling along? Um, I've only been trying it for a few days, but I definitely noticed the difference. Yeah, um, it gets your arms working working which obviously um, they don't get work too much on a regular bike Uh, and do people sort of stop and point and laugh yes absolutely (laughs) people are incredibly rude yes um yep if you're shy or self-conscious in public it's not for you and I've noticed that it it really varies depending on which part of London you're in um so I tried it in Covent Garden full of tourists people having a nice day out in the sunshine and um everyone loved it then I tried it in Camden um, with all the cool kids who looked at me in utter disgust because it's not a very cool machine. And who are they marketing at? It, it reminds me of, you know, those f- f- fit flops and those MBT trainers for kind of lazy people who just want to wear a pair of shoes and don't actually want to do any exercise. Is it along those lines? I don't know who they're marketing them at because they cost £2,000. So I don't think many people would want to buy one. Um, But at Soho Gyms, which is the gym that has the machines, um, you can just hire them out for £10 an hour. So just go and have a little uh, workout around the park or something. But does it have a basket? That's the most important question. (laughs) It doesn't have a basket. Ah. It has a a, a scary space at the front. So if you uh, slam the brakes on too quickly, then... uh, you could be catapulted into the road. <laughs> Crikey. Well, safe cycling, Rachel. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you. Um, so from rather slow, very careful ginger cycling to very fast cycling, it's just two years now to the 2012 Olympics when we all hope the British cycling team can repeat the success of Beijing. Time for me to put on my hard hat, don my steel-capped boots and head over to Stratford to check up on how the cycling venues are shaping up. Well, this is exciting. We're standing in the middle of the Olympic velodrome. I'm joined by Richard Arnold, who's the project manager of this fabulous site, where hopefully in two years' time... Chris Hoy will have won his fifth, maybe even his sixth gold. Victoria Pendleton will have been zooming around. Bradley Wiggins will have come back to the track. So tell us about the venue. So we're now standing in the middle of the infield. So this is the part of the venue where the athletes will be warming up, warming down and doing all of the stuff before they get on the track. Above us we've got this very distinctive roof shaped like a Pringle crisp. (laughs) And uh, it's bringing lots of natural light into the building which makes it incredibly sustainable. But also from the cyclist's perspective. This was something they really liked because it made it a great environment for them to train in rather than it just being very dark and dingy. So Boris Johnson the other week was saying this is going to be the fastest bike track in the world. Is it and how does that work? What we're, what we're determined to do is to make sure this is the best velodrome in the world with hopefully the fastest track in the world. Obviously it's down to the athletes to, uh, to actually break the records. But what we've made sure we do is, is to create the environment so that that's that's achievable so we've got the best track design in the world building this track for us uh, we've made sure that the temperature can be at its absolute optimum for the athletes to compete in 2012 and the whole environment around it with the atmosphere of the crowd is, uh, is, is all building up to that Okay. and where we're standing now is where Bradley Wiggins will be on the rollers listening to Paul Weller just kind of getting into the zone really. absolutely yeah and then hopefully getting on the medal whilst afterwards 
So should we go up to the seating area and see what it looks like from up there? Let's do that. sounds slightly breathless it's because Richard has taken us up many flights of stairs we're now at the top of the venue looking down over what where the track will actually be how many seats are there in here it seems enormous from up here yeah there's 6,000 seats in total so we're standing right at the very back and uh, there's two and a half thousand in the lower bowl all the way around the track and then these upper tiers on either side take it up to the full 6,000 so are all 6,000 seats going to still be here come September October 2012 when we've basically wipes everybody else off the map in terms of cycling absolutely all 6,000 seats stay um, and that's uh, one of the benefits of this venue is that after the games we could just almost take down the flags and, and the banners and it's it's then ready for its permanent legacy use back mm-hmm. and are there local cycling clubs who are going to have nights here um, well it, f- from the from the legacy perspective we'll have a permanent cafe so that people can uh, sit in, have their coffee, look at the track cycling, but equally look out and enjoy the views across the rest of the park. There'll be facilities for British cycling so they can bring in squads to do training. There's gyms for the athletes, workshops to do all of the work to the bike, laundry for all the kit. And then there's a little uh, shop unit here as well. So Lee Valley will talk to, um, to a bike shop operator and get them have it, uh, to have a space here as well. Okay, we're outside the Pringle now. We're looking out over, well, a building site. But what, what's, what's all this scaffolding going to be replaced by after the Olympics? Well, in, in, in Legacy, um, the velodrome's joined by three other cycling disciplines. So we build a BMX circuit, which is used for the games. So that's that pile of, pile of earth that we passed Absolutely right. earlier. The BMX circuit itself is slightly reconfigured to make it rideable for everyone right, so that you're the first time exactly your first experience on the BMX circuit isn't the one that the Olympians have just <laughs> competed on and then the other element is uh, a one mile road circuit so there used to be the old east way on this part of the site this is something that directly places that facility the one mile circuit loops its way around the velodrome around the BMX circuit and then goes across the river Lee and then back again and then the other element is the mountain biking so we've got seven and a half kilometers of mountain bike trails that snake its way around the velodrome and also go across to Eaton Manor on the other side of the A12. But it's totally flat here. How are you going to go mountain well, biking? You, you're building the obstacles in a different way. So we have a, a mountain bike designer, uh, Daffid Davis, who, who uh, is based in, in Wales. Uh, he's done a lot of work with us in terms of making this an urban mountain bike. So instead of having, uh, having hills, we'll have lumps of concrete, lumps of uh, different sorts of earth to create different types of obstacles. <laughs> So we are back now outside the site and I've been joined by Scott Lester from Transport for London who is responsible for walking and cycling around the Olympic sites. So we're standing now on the Greenway, which is what exactly? The Greenway is uh, London's out-of-all uh, sewer, so it carries all our waste products at the treatment parks down in Beckton. I thought it was a cycle path. It is, a cycle path of the path, but beneath the cycle track, about four or five metres, a very large diameter sewer. So let's go down a bit of the greenway now and see how green it really is. So what are we, what are we looking at right now? Where are we? Okay, we're uh, just uh, southeast of Stratford and we're heading in a uh, southeast direction towards the Thames. And we've heard a lot, we've just been admiring the shiny new velodrome on the Olympic site. We know how many millions, billions of pounds have been poured into the infrastructure on site. But what about after the Games? What, for, for cyclists like me who live in London, what's going to be left for us? 
We are spending, well, the ODA is spending just under £10 million improving eight cycle routes in and around the Olympic Park. What are you actually doing in order to make these paths better? I mean, we're at the, with the bit we're on at the moment is pretty smooth, but there are sections that could do with a little bit of TLC. Absolutely. This particular stretch of Greenway, no, we're not doing anything. If we walked much further, two or three miles, we're getting Thames water to, re, to redo some of their uh, fencing down there. We're also spending quite a bit of money on resurfacing, so we've got a decent running surface. We're putting a bit of tender loving care back into the uh, highway network. So it's a work in progress at the moment, but the big question, is it going to be ready in time? for the games we are aiming well before the games we'll be finishing all eight by the summer by may 2011 next year i've heard that before boris said his bike scheme was going to be ready way before it was fair fair point no we are about a third of the way through program i'm reasonably confident by may 2011 we'll have eight completed routes scott thank you very much pleasure and uh, happy cycling and walking along the new routes Mark, my big worry about the Olympics is that we've peaked too soon. We did so well in 2008. Do you believe in Team GB? Are we going to bring it home? I am worried that Chris Hoy's magnificent thighs might give out before, you know, the two years are up. But, um, you know, there's not just the, the track cycling, there's the BMX and the road cycling. So I'm quite certain that we're, uh, we're going to clean up the field. Having said that, I've probably just jinxed them. So uh, I'm going to keep my lips sealed on that subject. Well, I admire your optimism. That's it for this month's show. Remember to visit the bike blog for more news and views. Thanks to my studio guest, Mark Ames, for pedalling over here today. My pleasure. I'm Helen Pitt. The producer was Francesca. Panetta. Until next month, goodbye.